I was definitely more of the, the party animal. My high school life was, you know, centered around getting high, hanging with girls, um, and that was pretty much it. My mom and my father, you know, divorced when I was really young. I'd start to realize that, hey, a lot of my friends do have a mom and dad that stay in the same house. And that was always something I think I kind of longed for. I would deal with my emotional pains just through more drug use. College is not on the radar. You know, I started working full time and making money, partying on the weekends. At this point in my life, it's not that I even recognize yet that I'm an addict, but what had started as like smoking just to have fun, that now it would be I would smoke to feel normal. I realized that there's got to be something more. And so I made a decision to, to stop using. I uh, didn't sleep for three days and I didn't eat for three days because my body was used to the intake. I was really just far out, not even exactly sure what happened, but at, at some level, my brain was really trying to restart itself. I wake up in this facility and have no idea who I am or how I even got there. Um, I would have to teach myself everything all over again, how to eat, how to go to the bathroom. It'd be really frustrating. I was like, man, I should probably start reading. Like, if I'm gonna train my brain, I go into a resource room and looking for books and stumble across a Bible. I don't know anything about it. I don't know what I'm reading. I'm not understanding anything. There are words in there I've never even seen. You know, it's a mess. And uh, this lady, she walks over to me and she asks me, have you ever read the Bible before? And I said, no, ma'am, I don't, I don't know what I'm doing. And so she brings me to John. And this is the first time in my life that somebody sits down and shares the gospel of Jesus Christ with me. My heart could feel that there was somebody who wanted to be my father. And that's kind of when the pursuit for Jesus enters my life. Uh, get out and back and sitting down with my girlfriend at the time. And I think I want to go to church. She's like, hey, there's this place right off of Buck Jones called Hope Community Church. Why don't we try that? And I'm like, all right. We come and it was something that I actually enjoyed and I uh, looked forward to going back to. So uh, maybe like the next day or two, I'm in a small group. Uh, small groups and, and developing a tight-knit community at Hope was the one thing that allowed me to have the strength to walk away from my old life because I was starting to experience a new life. I was really developing and growing leaps and bounds. I've got baptized, like I'm, I'm all in. If it's a decision that I've made inwardly, then I want to outwardly express it as well. And I believe that the rest of my life is going to be a constant pursuit of knowing Him and becoming like him. I don't know where that means or where I'm gonna go, but I know it's gonna be the most exciting adventure of my life. Yeah. <clears throat> what, a, what an incredible story. I love Miles. He, uh, he interns in our, in our college ministry and he's on staff with us on our security team right now and just love what God is doing in his life and, and the changes and the, and the constant growth is, uh, is incredible. So, uh, well, I know I've shared this with you before, but a couple years ago, we, uh, we lived in Southern California. And when we were there as a family, we had residence passes to Disneyland. And the, the church that I worked at, the campus that I was at was just down the street from Disney. And so 
Ty and Laura would often come and, and meet me after work, and we would just go over on a Tuesday night for a couple hours and go hang out at Disney. Now, in California, if you've never been to Disneyland in California, there's really only two parks there. There's, uh, there's Disneyland, and then there's California Adventure. And now, Ty was older, and so most of our time was spent over at California Adventure, which is, by the way, the place where the worst ride ever at Disney was is created, and that's the, the Tower of Terror, right? I know I've shared that with you before, or what I also like to call the death trap of the devil. And, uh, and that's, where, that's where that ride is, and it's supposed to be the happiest place on earth where kids' dreams come true, and I, I can still hear the screams of a 10-year-old girl right on that ride in my head. They were mine, but my therapist says that that's and my therapist says that's okay. And, and so we're working through that. But, and so most of the time we'd be over at California Adventure. But sometimes we would go over to Disneyland. And when we did, there was really only two parts to Disneyland because Ty was older that we would hang out in. One was uh, Adventureland. And so on the Adventureland side, that's where Pirates of the Caribbean and uh, Indiana Jones rides were. And so we'd go ride those rides. And then we would head across Disneyland to the other side to Tomorrowland. And that's where Space Mountain is, which I believe, in my opinion, the, the greatest roller coaster at Disney exists. But there was always a line for, uh, for Space Mountain. And so while you're in line, there was this ride that you would kind of, as you're waiting, you would oversee. And it was a, a ride called Autopia. Now this ride, Autopia, I think we did it once when Ty was younger, but uh, it's, this, it's this great ride. It's mostly for kind of middle kids, right? Not little kids, but, but kind of older kids, but not like kids that would have their driver's license yet. And basically you're in a car that you drive and you steer but it's on, a, it's on an enclosed track. So those kids can't like drive through the Buzz Lightyear ride and like escape the happiest place on earth, right? They're contained within, but they actually get to drive their car. And so there's this guided track that runs underneath the cars, but they have the freedom as the drivers to press the gas and to steer the car to the left and to the right. And it was so much fun to watch those parents as they would climb into the passenger seat with their children. And even the most hardcore atheist, you would see them start crossing themselves and, and crying out to Jesus, right? They're, all of a sudden you'd hear a lot of like, Jesus, take the wheel, right? Like they're singing anything. They can just take it from their hands, please. Like just take it, Jesus. And anything they could do is their kids would start driving. And so you would smell the exhaust fumes. The light would turn green. They would press the gas and they were off. And it was amazing, right? Because you would watch every single little kid has a steering wheel in their hands. And the last thing you want to do as a kid with a steering wheel in your hand is go straight. And so they would ram it to the left and they would go towards the left until they would hit the track. And when they hit the track, it would scare them. And so they would overcorrect and they would steer hard to the right. And they would go over to the right-hand side until they hit the track. And then they would be scared again and it would just go like that. Left, right, left, right, back and forth, right? It was the most, the most violent thing as they're violently bouncing back and forth. It was, it was incredible. And I think my favorite part, my favorite part was after the ride with the, the whole line of chiropractors handing out their business cards to parents as they're coming out holding their necks, right? While their kids are yelling, let's do it again. And the parents are like, absolutely not. I'd rather go over on that skyscraper of Satan and plummet to my, my death before I do this ride again. Now we're in a series and in the series we're, we're calling it Greater Than. And we're talking about how do we have a great life? Because I've never met anybody, never ever met anyone that's woken up in the morning and said, eh, I'm just hoping today's average, right? I'm just shooting for mediocre today, right? We all want to have a great life. We all want to have the kind of life where we feel like we've made a difference. We've made an impact in someone else's life. We all want to be remembered for doing something that mattered. 
And Doug kicked it off last week and he did a phenomenal job. And, and in his message, the, the premise of it, the start of it was how do we become greater than? What does that even look like? And his bottom line was that less than is greater than greater than. And if you think about it in our selfie taking, narcissistic, social media posting, all about me culture, right? That's not a normal way of thinking. But what he showed us in John chapter 3, verse 30 was a passage from, from the book of John. And in that passage, John said that here's how you figure out this greater than kind of life. It's when Jesus becomes greater and you become less. When you can get that perspective and when you can get that relationship happening, Jesus becoming greater in your life and you becoming less, that's how you discover a great life. And in fact, the Bible has all kinds of passages and verses and instructions for how to live that great life. And that's what we're going to look at over these next few weeks. But it really always has to come back to that place of understanding that Jesus has to become greater and we become less. See, this isn't about us working on ourselves or us fixing our own lives. This is about understanding a proper perspective of the gospel, of Jesus becoming greater, us becoming less. But when we do that, we can discover the greatest life possible. Now today what we're going to talk about is we're going to talk about our plans versus God's plans for our lives. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever had to make a decision? Anybody? Yeah, probably, right? I mean, we make thousands of decisions every single day. In fact, some of you had to make a decision just on the way here. You fought the entire way here. You almost, you almost ran over a roadie because as you were coming in the parking lot, you were trying to reach back at one of the, the kids, right? And, and so you made that decision to get out of the car to say, we're gonna smile, we're gonna be happy because I know when I get to the front door, they're gonna ask me, how are you doing today? And you're like, I'm great, I'm great. My family's great, greatest day ever. I am so great, right? And so you made that decision. As a pastor, this is one of the most frequent questions that I get. How do I know God's will for my life? Many of us are in what I would call a decision dilemma even right now. Maybe it's as a, as a small child that you're trying to decide between do I play football or do I play baseball? When you get to high school, you're trying to decide should I go to this college or should I go to that college? When you're in college, you're trying to decide should I take this major or should I take that major? Post-college, you're trying to decide, should I take this job or should I take that job? For women, you're trying to decide, do I marry this guy or do I marry that guy? For men, it's much easier, which, whichever one says yes first, right? That's just, we don't have many options for most of us. My, my, here's, here's what I did. I just hung around the optometrist office and waited for the first cute girl with bad eyesight to walk by. It wasn't my fault that Laura wasn't wearing her glasses that day, right? But now she's stuck with me and that's just how it works. For some of us, we're married and we're trying to maybe make the decision between do we have kids now or do we wait? Do we have three kids or do we have five kids? And then you have one kid and you're like, we're good. We're good, right? Like one, one's good. One, we'll just stop, kind of stop there. With a house, do we rent or do we buy? With pets, dog or cat? I can give you God's will right now for everybody. It is never the cat. It is always the dog, right? Cats are from Satan. Dogs are from heaven. That's in the Bible. It's in the Bible somewhere. I know, I know it's, it's there. They should put all the cats on the Tower of Terror and just shoot them at, boom, right? Just blow them. That's what should, it's just my opinion, but that's, I think, what should, what should happen. Right? We spend our lives wondering, don't we? We spend our lives wondering what decision should I make? How do I know? How do I know if this, is, if this is God's voice? How do I know if it's God's will or is it just the burrito that I ate last night? And, and maybe the most important question is, what, what happens if I make the wrong decision? And if we're honest, a, a lot of us, we spend a lot of time, we spend a lot of our lives kind of like those kids on Utopia. 
and we're steering left and we're steering right and we're overcorrecting and we're bouncing back and forth and back and forth. And all along, there's a, there's a track, there's a way, there's a plan to guide us to the destination that God has for each of us. And when we follow it, when we follow it, what we experience is the least amount of jarring wrecks possible. See, every desire leads to a decision. It just leads to a decision as to whether it's my way or whether it's God's way, whether it's my plans or whether it's God's plans, or whether it's someone else's plans and will for my life, or is it God's will for my life? I love this quote from Rick Warren in The Purpose Driven Life. He said, it is impossible to do everything people want you to do. You have just enough time to do God's will. If you can't get it all done, it means you're trying to do more than God intended for you to do, or possibly that you're watching too much television, right? It's, it's, it's one of those two. See, God created you for a very specific purpose, and he has calculated the exact amount of time that it's going to take for you on this planet to accomplish that purpose, to accomplish what only you can do through him. But that's the key, right? The key is that it has to be through him. We all know that we've tried to do things our way. We've tried to do things in our own strength. We've tried to do things in our own timing only to satisfy ourselves or maybe the pressures that someone else has put on us. And we also know that, that when we do that, we're missing out. We're missing out on the life that, that God intended for us from the very beginning. Let me ask you two questions. First one is this. Can I trust that God has a better plan for my life than I do? What's your answer to that? Can you trust that God may actually have a better plan for you than you have for you? Let me ask you this question. Do I trust that even though I don't know exactly what it is that he does and that he is going to work it out in my life? Here's a passage that I want this to kind of be based on uh, today. And, and we're gonna look at another one in a minute. But Isaiah 55, it says this. My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. And my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. Far beyond. Maybe you could substitute the word greater than anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher or greater than the earth, so my ways are higher or greater than your ways. And my thoughts higher or greater than your thoughts. I love how the New English translation um, translated this. It says this, For just as the sky is higher than the earth, so my deeds are superior to your deeds and my plans superior to your plans. See, I think it's safe for us to say that God's will is greater than our will. Even Jesus, right? Even Jesus understood this. Now, because I get for some of us, this, this may be a little overwhelming, right? This even may be a little discouraging. Donnie, are you saying that I've got to give up my plans, that I've got to give up my will? But even Jesus understood this. There are multiple occasions in which Jesus said, God, I'm going to choose your will over my will. Look at some of these. In John 4, 34, Jesus said this, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. I love food, right? You don't mess with a man's food, right? Uh, food is very important. And we know that you have to have food to be healthy and to live, right? Food is very important. But what Jesus is saying here is it's just as essential, just as essential as eating, is following the plans or the will that God has for our lives. John 5.30 says this, I can do nothing on my own initiative. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. See, what Jesus is saying here is he's not saying that he didn't have the freedom to choose whatever he wanted to do, but his understanding of God, his love for God, 
compelled him to follow God's plans in his life. John 6, 38 says this, for I have come down from heaven not to do the will, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. Again, this was Jesus' purpose. This is why Jesus came. And why would we think that our purpose would be any different than Jesus' purpose? See, I think it'd be cruel for God to have created us, but not give us a purpose, not give us a plan for our lives. And then I think the ultimate, in my opinion, is in the garden. Just hours before going to the cross in Mark chapter 14, look at what Jesus said. Going a little further, he, Jesus, fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. In other words, I I don't want to do this. I don't want to go through the pain. I don't want to go through the suffering. I don't want to be separated from you. Yet not what I will, but what you will. In the face of that pain, in the face of that suffering, knowing that in just hours he was going to be nailed to a cross through his hands and through his feet, that he was going to have the entire sin of the entire world placed upon him, and for the first time ever, he was going to be separated from his father, and he said, I don't want to do this. But God, I want to do your will more than I want what I want. See, God created you with a plan for your life, and we know that when we try to do things our way, in our limited knowledge, with our limited amount of control in life, that it usually ends up hurting us and hurting others. And so how do we discover God's plans or God's will for our lives? Before we can understand what God's will is, I think we also, we need to understand what God's will is not. And I think there's a few things that it's not. Here's the first. God's will is not a feeling. It's not a feeling. The problem with feelings is that they're very unreliable. You can't command a feeling and make it change, right? They come from from many different sources. Our feelings come from things like fatigue or hunger or illness or a TV show or a book or a bad pizza, right? Our, Our feelings can be influenced in all kinds of different ways. In fact, the Bible says that the heart is deceitful. So it's not about a feeling. Second is this, God's will is not everything that happens, Maybe you've heard this said before, what will be, will be. If it happened, then it must be God's will. That's not true. We can't blame God for bad or evil things that happen. That, That attitude, what that does is it removes all responsibility from us and the decisions that we make in life. Third one is this, God's will is not a formula. It's not a method. It's not a, if you do A and B and C, then you'll always get D, which is God's will. It doesn't work that way. It's kind of like the, the, some people use the, the flip and point method. Do you know, do you know what that is, right? It's, it's, a, it's where you flip through the Bible and then you, you just point at a passage and, and, and pray that that's gonna be God's will for your life. Like the guy that, that did that once and he, and he flipped and, and he pointed in his Bible and he pointed to 1 Chronicles 19.4 and here's what it said. So Hanan seized David's envoys. He shaved them and cut their garments at the buttocks, which is very unfortunate, Right? And so he thought, I don't know if that's really God's will. Let me try it again. And so he flipped again and he pointed, and this time he pointed at, at Luke 10, 37, and it said this, go and do likewise. <laughs> right? That's bad. That's a bad method, right? It's, there's no formula to this. If God's will was a simple formula, then the problem with that is that we would all have to do it perfectly or it would, it would fall apart. Right? That's where that theory of uh, there's only one, I only have one soulmate, only one person for me to marry. I don't agree with that. 
Because if you marry the wrong person, right, that sets a domino effect for all of the rest of us. And now we're all married to the wrong person. Now is not a good time to look at your spouse, by the way. <laughs> or I can predict God's will in your life. It'll be you sleeping on the couch tonight, right? So there's no, don't do that. Don't do that part. See, God's will is not a closed system. It's, it's a dynamic system. It's constantly changing to account for people's decisions, to account for the mistakes that we make in our lives. Otherwise, one mistake would disqualify us from God's plan. And that's not how God works. Here's a fourth one. God's will is not to be feared. I know for some of us, when we talk about a topic like this, it scares you. You get a little defensive. You want to run from it. But here's what we have to understand. Jesus didn't come to scare us. Jesus came to save us. It says time and time again in God's word, don't be afraid. Right? Don't, don't be afraid. See, don't look at it as you're giving up your will. You're giving up your plans. You're giving up your freedoms. Instead, we look at it this way, that we understand that the God of the universe, who is all-powerful, who is unlimited knowledge, who has, who has access to unlimited resources, is on your side. And he's working for your benefit, and he's working for mine. And I know it leads to questions like, but what if God asked me to change my lifestyle? What if God asked me to do something that I'm not comfortable with? And, and what will other people think about that? See, the problem, the, the root of that attitude is, is fear. And it really comes down to a, a place of, of not trusting that God has the very best interest at heart for us. The fifth one is this, is God's will is not a frustration. And I think if, if we're honest, many of us are in, in this place today. That we want to know what God's will is for our lives, but it doesn't appear that he's showing it to us, or at least he's not making it, it easy for us to understand. We want to follow God's plan, but we just, we just don't know. We don't know what decision to make. We don't know what step to take, to take next. We don't know which direction we should go in. And here's what we need to understand, is that God's will is for us to join him on a mission to reconcile a lost and broken world. God's will for our lives. is a, It's a long-term process to make us more and more like Jesus. And part of that process is, is things like problems and pressures, but also part of it is things like pleasure and peace. Here's what God's will is. God's will is a, it's a friendship. It's a partnership with God. So there's nothing, nothing better that you can do, nothing greater that you can do with your life than to partner with God, to align your plans, your will to God's plans, to God's will in your life. And so we're gonna take a look at one more passage. If you have uh, your Bible, I'd love for you to turn with me to uh, Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. And uh, while you're turning there, let me just give you a little bit of, of context to this. Uh, there's a guy named Paul and he wrote a letter to a church in Rome, Italy. And, and actually at one point, his name wasn't Paul. At one point, his name was Saul. And, and Saul didn't like Jesus. He didn't like Christians. He didn't believe in that. In fact, he, he committed his entire life to chasing them down, hunting them down, catching them in the act of, of worship or anything Jesus-like and either imprisoning them or torturing them or even approving and having them killed until one day he had a face-to-face -face encounter with Jesus and when he met Jesus everything in Saul's life changed including his name from Saul to Paul and I recognize that for some of us as you sit here today you may be saying Donnie I don't know if I believe in the whole Jesus thing I don't know if I believe in this whole Bible thing either well neither did Saul until he met Jesus but when he met Jesus everything changed and so Paul then spent the rest of his life trying to help build the church trying to help people meet Jesus. And in Romans chapter 12, beginning at verse one, this is what he wrote. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, 
in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. See, God's will is not a formula. It's not a feeling. But in this passage, in these two verses, we see three very powerful principles of how we can understand, how we can align ourselves or put ourselves in a place in relationship with God that we can understand what his will is, his perfect and good and pleasing will. Here's the the first principle. The first is this. It's the principle of offering. It's the principle of offering. And what this means is that we offer all of you to God, right? All of us, we offer it to God. The very first verse, verse one says, therefore I urge you brothers and sisters in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. That you offer your total life to Christ. See, the the secret to knowing God's will is to be willing in advance to do whatever it is, even when we don't know what it is. How many people say something like this, God, if you show me your will, if you show me your plans for my life, if you show me what's next, you just lay it out for me. If you would just show me, oh, then I'll decide if I want to be in or not on it, right? Or maybe I'll make a few edits. Like I love this and I love that. I don't love that one as much. That one's a little uncomfortable for me, not feeling that. Let's just kind of remove those. But God, the rest of it's really good. Let's, uh, if you just show me that, where it will be good to go. But that's not how, how it works. Kind of like the guy who prayed for God's will outside of Krispy Kreme. Right? He said, Lord, if it's your will for me to, to get a whole dozen Krispy Kreme donuts and when I pull in front of Krispy Kreme, may they be a, an empty parking spot right in the front. And on his fourth time around the block, there it was, right? <laughs> Praise God, right? Yeah, empty parking spot, God's will. God doesn't play games like that. If you want to know God's will, you have to decide that you're going to do his will, whatever it is. See, here's what happens. Here's what most of us want. Most of us want to see a kind of a contract. We're like, God, if you could just show me all of the stuff that you want to do in my life, and then let me just look through it, and then I'll sign the bottom and agree. But God says, that actually, I kind of want it this way. It's more a blank sheet. And I want you just to sign your name on the bottom and and commit to me first. And then just trust me. Trust that I love you. Trust that I care about you. Trust that I will begin to fill in the story as we go. And just trust that it's going to be good for you. I remember Rick Warren talking about a a friend who preached in a church. And and the choir would sing this. They They would sing, yes, Lord, yes. Yes, Lord, yes. And they would build and build and build until there was this great crescendo. And then they would introduce the speaker who came out. And, and the speaker would say, would say this, Lord, you've already heard our answer. Now tell us what it is that you want us to do. You see, that's, that's the attitude that God wants us to have. Where we say, I'm willing in advance, God, to do whatever it is that you want me to do. Offering yourself means that you say yes to God, that you offer all of you. It means you offer your marriage, your family, your business, your job, your career, your education, your finances, your time, whatever it is, we offer it to God. And I know that some of us have a question. And the question is, well, Tony, why, why should I commit to, to, to doing whatever God asks, even before he asks? Why would I do that? It, that feels risky. It feels irresponsible, even dangerous. I would never do that with my business. I would never sign a contract without seeing the details, without reading it through. I would never do that with my kids. I would never approve or allow them to go somewhere without knowing exactly what they were going to do. Why would God want that for me? Look what it says 
In verse one, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. You see, this isn't a wild, unknown risk. It's an obedient response. God has been so good to us, period. And because of that, we simply respond. We trust him and we trust his ways and we trust his plans. See, there's three characteristics of offering our lives to God. The first is this, is it's, it's a voluntary thing. It says in there to offer your bodies, right? That we voluntarily commit our bodies to God. This is the same word that we would use in our English for making a reservation at a restaurant. When you make a reservation, it means that a table has been set aside for you to use. And when we offer ourselves to God, we're basically putting a a reserved card in our lives and we're saying, God, my my life, my time, my resources, myself, all of me is available to you for you to use however you want to use it. Second is it's practical. You might ask, well, why would, why would God want our bodies? Like, why doesn't he just say, hey, just give me your soul or, or give me your, your spirit? But, but God says, I, I want everything that you've got. When God owns your body, he owns all of you. Maybe you've heard someone say something like this before. Hey, I, I can't make the meeting today, but I'll be with you in spirit. Right? It's, it's, a, it's a great sentiment, but practically it's, it's worthless, Right? Because your spirit can't be anywhere that your body isn't. It's one thing to say that you're going to give money to missions. It's another to say that I'm going to go and spend two weeks overseas, right, working with a group of people. When you give your body, it means that you're giving all of yourself to God. The third thing is this, is it's a daily thing. It says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Usually when we think about a sacrifice, and especially when you look back in the Old Testament, you think of a sacrifice being something that was dead, but, but this says that it's a living sacrifice. See, the one problem with a living sacrifice is it tends to want to crawl off of the altar. And that's why it has to be a daily thing. But look at what it says, holy and pleasing to God. See, when we offer ourselves to God, it actually makes God happy. And then it says this, this is your true and proper worship. See, worship is not something that we just do on Sundays or something that we do in a church building. Worship is any time you commit yourself to God. Any time that you make a commitment of saying, my life is yours. Any time that you give him your time or your praise or your life or your talents or your energy, that is worship. And what Paul is saying here is that we can live in constant worship of God when we offer all of us to all of God. Here's the second principle. It's a principle of insulation, that we live insulated in the world. Verse two says this, do not conform to the patterns of this world. Now, when he talks about world, he's not talking about the people in the world. The Bible says time and time again that God loves the people in the world. God wants us to live in relationship with the people he created. But I love how the message uh, paraphrase wrote this. It says this, don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. See, that's the key. It's to be insulated. God doesn't want us to be isolated. He doesn't want us to move out to the middle of nowhere to separate ourselves and to look down and say, I don't want to have anything to do with those people. In fact, statistics tell us, they're they're very clear, that once the average person becomes a believer in Jesus, that he or she loses all contact with all unbelieving friends within two years. That's not God's desire. He doesn't want us to isolate ourselves. But God also doesn't want us to imitate the world. Some Christians, some of us, we do this, right? We, we imitate everything that we see. 
And whatever the world does, we do because we want to fit in. We, we don't want to be people that, that stand out. We want to be people that, that kind of fit in with that culture. And so if people are making those decisions, we decide that it must be okay for us to make those decisions. It's not about isolation and it's not about imitation. It's about insulation. And here's what I mean by that. Last week, we, were, uh, we spent a week as a family in Florida and I love seafood. I, I, I tried to eat it almost every night while we were down there because most of the time it was, it was fresh caught right in, in the ocean. And, 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 but there was something that I noticed every, every time that I had seafood at, at dinner was that it, it never tasted salty. In fact, most of the time I had to add a little bit of salt to it. And I thought that was kind of cool, right? Here are these fish and they've lived in a saltwater ocean and yet they never tasted salty. It was insulated from the environment that it lived in. And if God can have a fish in salt water and yet for it to never taste salty, then God can do the same in our lives. When we live in a world and a culture, but we can remain pure, we can still live in a way that brings honor to him. That's insulation. Here's the third principle. It's the principle of transformation. And this is where we allow God to begin to change us. It continues on in verse two and says this, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What, what Paul's talking about is that the Holy Spirit begins to change us from the inside out. In fact, the, the Greek word here is the word metamorphosis, that we're transformed, that we're changed by God to eventually make us look more and more like Jesus. There's a word in here that says renewing, and, and, and what that means is the renewing is the renewing of, of a new way of thinking. And there's two primary ways in which God does this. One is through his spirit that lives in us. And we're going to talk about that in a, in a few weeks. We're going to talk about who he is and his role in our lives and how we connect with him. But he's also talking about this through the Bible. That it's through God's word that we allow God to begin to change and shape our minds. And the more and more we read this book, the more and more we have an understanding of who Jesus is, of who God is and what he intends and why he created us and what he has for us the more we understand God's will. You see, most of God's will has already been revealed in God's word. As we read it, he speaks to us. In fact, I love this quote by David Allen. It said this, when you open your Bible, God opens his mouth. When you shut your Bible, God shuts his mouth. See, what we think determines how we act. It determines what we say and it determines what we do. And when we allow God to shape the way we think, then we're allowing God to shape the way we live. And so it's through the principles and commands and examples of scripture that we discover God's will for our lives. I love how Paul finishes it here in Romans uh, verse two, 12 verse two. He says this, then you will be able to, and if you have a Bible, you may wanna underline or circle these words, test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. You see, when you offer yourself fully to God, when we live insulated in the world, and when we allow God to begin to change us from the inside out, then God says that we'll be able to test and we'll be able to know confidently what God's will is. He will begin to align our desires with his desires. And his will is always good and pleasing and perfect. Now, let me close with this. I want to give you six filter questions, right? So if you're trying to live out this, this Romans 12, these couple of verses, the, here's a few questions that will help you filter. How do you make a decision? How do I know? God, is this what, what you want me to do in my life? Real quick, here they are. The first is this. Number one is, am I in a right relationship with God? 
See, this is foundational, and it really goes back to what Doug talked about last week, that Jesus is becoming greater and we're becoming less. It's not about being perfect. It's not about, have I done more good things this week than, than bad stuff? That's not what it is. It's just simply saying, God, do I have a, a close relationship with you? Because if I'm not close to you, then I can't hear what it is that you're trying to say. Second is this, what does the Bible say? And if you don't know, then you need to start here, right? We need to begin to, to read God's word. And if you don't have a Bible, we would love to give you one. In fact, as soon as services are done, go to the next steps counter at whatever campus you're at and say, can I have a Bible and can you show me where I should start reading? And we would love to help you begin that journey. Because when you read it and you study it, you allow God to begin to shape you and speak to you. Third is this, is what would Jesus do? Do you remember the bracelets? Remember the, those bracelets? I was it like the 90s or whatever when these were like so cool. They made a kind of a comeback a couple of years ago. I'm not saying you have to wear the bracelet, but the question is, is still kind of cool, right? Is what would Jesus do? It's a great question to ask. Did Jesus ever say anything about this? How would Jesus treat people? What were his priorities? And although Jesus didn't give us an answer to every question that we have, we do have enough from Jesus' life to be pretty confident that we can make a decision that would line with what Jesus would do. Fourth is this, have I asked wise people for help? The people that you surround yourself with matter because you will become like the people that you surround yourself with. Do you have wise people in your life who aren't gonna tell you what you wanna hear, but they're gonna tell you the truth because they care about you? Fifth one is this, do I sense God's peace? Now you have to be careful with this one. Okay, this isn't one that you don't ever use this one alone because we can justify just about anything in our lives, right? I feel very peaceful about this. It's a terrible decision, but I feel, I feel at peace with this. You gotta be careful. In fact, what God has promised in his word is that his peace will guard our hearts and our minds when we live in Christ Jesus. So here's how you use this question. If you've walked through the first four filters, those first four questions, and you're still sensing that, yeah, I think this is where God is leading, but you still don't have peace, then maybe it's the right thing to do, but maybe the timing isn't right. And maybe, maybe you just need to, to slow down a little bit. And maybe you just need to wait. Maybe God's saying, yeah, you're going in the right direction. Yes, that is the right decision to make. It's just not right now. There's something else I still need to teach you. There's something else that I want you to experience. There's something else that we're gonna do together first. So just wait. And when you don't have that peace, it's maybe just God saying, hold on. Sixth one is this, is it my will or God's will? And maybe just a simple prayer every day. God, today I'm going to have to make several decisions. And I don't want to make those decisions based on what I want. I want to make those decisions based on what you want. And so will you help me to make wise decisions this week? Remember Jesus in the garden. I said, Father, I, I don't want to do this. I, I, don't, I don't want to be separated from you. I don't want this pain. I, I don't want this to happen. But what I want more is your will than what I want for myself. Let me close with this. When I was a kid, um, we grew up just outside of, of Toronto and, uh, and my family, we would regularly go into Toronto and we would go to, to Blue Jays games. And, uh, and so every summer we would go to, to multiple games. We would always take the train in because it was easier than trying to drive into downtown Toronto and all the traffic and find parking and then walk to the stadium. And the train would drop us off right outside of, of the stadium. And I remember sitting on that train and, and I remember asking my dad, I think probably almost every game that we went to and, and, and said, dad, can I have my ticket? Right, because there was always pictures of players on there and where we were seating and just some stuff to, to look at. And my dad would always look at me and he said, I'll, I'll give it to you, but, but just hold on. Just wait until we get there. 
And we would get there and we'd walk and we would be right in front of the gate and just about to go in and then my dad would take that ticket and he would pass it to me and I would take my ticket and I would pass it to the ticket collector and we would go in and we would watch the game. Why would my dad do that? It's because he knew that I probably couldn't handle that ticket, right? There was a really good chance that I would lose it on the train or walking uh, between, between. The, the ticket wasn't the most important thing to me at that moment. I wanted to go see the baseball game. And so he would hold on to it because he knew that I couldn't handle it yet. And I think that's what God does with his will and his plan in our lives. See, it's not a game. It's not a game of hide and seek. If you can find me, then I'll give you my will for your life. That's not what God does. He's not keeping his will from us to frustrate us. What he's saying is that we couldn't handle it all at once if he gave it to us. So what he does is he gives us just enough of his plan at the perfect time if we're willing to trust him. See, the question becomes, am I willing to commit to that blank contract? Am I willing to sign today and say, God, I'll I'll sign my life to this and I'm gonna trust your will in my life. I'm gonna follow you. I'm gonna do whatever it is that you ask me to do. Remembering that there's a track in our lives. It's running underneath all the time, right? We steer left and right, but we don't have to overcorrect. We don't have to crash as much as we do because the best journey is when we follow that track and we trust and follow where it is that God is leading us. Let's pray. If you're here today and if you've never said yes to Jesus, you've never feel like you've been in a relationship with him, a friendship with him. Would you consider doing that today? See, it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how much baggage you brought in today. It doesn't matter how far away from God you feel. It doesn't matter that that you don't understand what comes next. Would you trust today that God loves you and that he has a very good plan for your life? Would you just simply in the quiet of your heart say yes to him? Say, Jesus, I believe in you. I trust you. Will you give me a plan for my life? Will you give me your plan for my life? Will you forgive me of my sins? Will you put my past behind me and will you give me a a fresh, clean start? I need you to save me, but I also want you to guide and to direct me. I want you to be the Lord of my life. Will you help me start on your plan today? And if you just pray just something simple like that in the quiet of your heart, today is is the greatest decision that you've ever made because you've started a relationship with Jesus Christ that changes everything like Saul did when he went from Saul to to Paul. And understanding that there's a a God that cares about you and and wants to guide you through this life. It doesn't mean that your life is gonna be perfect. It doesn't mean there aren't gonna be pains and pressures and frustrations and hurts and difficult times. But what it does mean is that God will never leave you. He'll never forsake you and he will guide you through all of those things. For the rest of us, most of us are are facing decisions. And if we're not right now, we know that there will come a day where we will face some major decisions. Remember that God's will, it's not, a, it's not a feeling, it's not a formula. Today, would you just be willing to say, God, I offer myself to you. God, I, I don't want to separate myself from everything. I want to live isolated in, in this world. And will you begin to change me? Will you begin to transform me? Will you renew how I think? Will you renew how I speak? Will you renew how I live my life? Because I want to test and approve 
your good and pleasing and perfect will in my life. God, we thank you that you love us that much. You didn't create us and drop us off here and, and say, maybe I'll be back later. I'll check in on you once in a while. But God, you have a very clear and specific plan and purpose for each of our lives. Help us to trust you. Help us to trust you with that and help us to follow you in obedience, a response to your incredible mercy in our lives. We love you, Jesus, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.